Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Good AV Show, where we cover all things innovative, interesting, sustainable, and useful to your AV career. And um, you know how I am, always trying to find uh, something unique and interesting and and, um, that that will definitely be useful to to your work and help you think differently about um, the job that you do every day. So... I just was thinking about, you know, some of the the topics that are out there and and what I find fascinating and interesting. And for me, the way that the brain works, neuroscience is tops on that list. I just think it's incredibly interesting and um, very useful. So I invited Andrea Sullivan, who is the founder of Brain Strength Systems, um, to be our guest this this time. And um, she is primarily focused on training and and management development, leadership development, um, using a lot of the neuroscience that um, she studied and is an expert in. So um, welcome, Andrea. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Remind me, where are you located? I just completely forgot. Oh, I'm in Pennsylvania in the countryside outside of Philadelphia. Oh, that sounds awfully nice. And um, yeah, and I can hear the dogs. We were just joking about how many dogs are barking on the show. Right it's on time. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll just carry on. I'm sure stop. Eventually, yes. Um, and you're, it just kind of adds to the fact that you're in the countryside. <laughs> um, so I really, you know, just kind of like to start off the show by um, having you introduce yourself. It's far better than me trying to tell your story. So um, tell us a little bit about you know, kind of your journey and, um, you know, how does one kind of become a brain expert? (laughs) Okay, great. Uh, hi everybody. First of all, um, I have a very convoluted, um, career path (laughs) coming and I don't know that I would call myself a brain expert either. I'm not a neuroscientist. My expertise is in psychology and I, I started off actually going for my doctorate in clinical psychology and realized I didn't actually want to do that. And then I went into organizational psychology, which is a study of how people work and how we, how we perform at work and get along with our coworkers and all like that. And, um, even the physical spaces where we work, which is pretty interesting. Um, so when I was working though, when I was learning all that and I started studying, um, a little bit about evolution and and who we are and how how we you know how we how we function really neuroscience kept coming up for me again and again and again because it's just so interesting and when i was in school it was when they first started coming out about with all this information about plasticity which is how our brains change and you probably all know by now we are we are much more changeable than we ever thought that we were so of course for someone in training um that is good news <laughs> for human beings that is good news that we really have a lot of impact into how and who we become mm-hmm. so um and then i started uh, um you know, just using it in a variety of ways in the meetings industry. I worked pretty um, intensively for a while applying neuroscience there. And now I'm, I'm kind of back to my roots, using it more with the management training. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, and I'll just mention, so what, what really caught my attention several years ago 
um, was Andrea helped uh, author a paper, or I think you you were the primary. Um, I authored the paper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there you go. Yeah. And it was actually so it was it was kind of sponsored by I'm assuming then, um, and with a few contributions from PSAV. So. Um, I, then I thought I wrote down the name of the paper and it completely escapes me, but, um, it was really about the impact of audiovisual technology and, um, sort of the, the relationship between brain science and meetings and where does AV intersect? So, um, that really caught my attention. And, um, do you want to tell us just a little bit about that? Cause I think that's pretty darn interesting. It is, and it's important actually because uh, we won't have time to go into the specific principles in this podcast. So I refer everyone to the paper. It's called Audiovisual Technologies and Adult Learning in Meetings. And um, I did write the paper, provide the, the research, and um, PSAV also added in the equipment side mm. so that. Um, you've got the principles of how to use it, and there's really a ton of them. Um, and then you've also got a little bit of information of, of, okay, how can you do this using the equipment that's in the marketplace today? Mm-hmm. And it's on PSAB's website, psab.com. Okay, great. And um, yeah, so some of the, but some of thinking about some of the higher level principles and sort of, you know, just knowing the technology that we work with, you know, just any key um key principles or key thoughts to share about, um, you know, just very high level. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, the main thing to me is to always keep in mind outcomes and the outcomes that we're looking for in meetings is learning and behavior change for the most part. So you would think, well, what does AV have to do with that? We're just the technology and, and that's not the case. Actually, like everything that goes on in our brain, everything that we experience is a result of our sensory input. And our visual input is like huge. That's like 83% mm-hmm. of, of everything that we, of what we remember, what we experience. And then audio is like next with 11%, very distant from vision. Mm. And then all the other senses have like one, two, 3% of what we experience. So audio visual input is, is huge in terms of what we actually experience. And it can be used in so many ways um, to bring attention to something, to create a mood with color. Um, uh, things like a theme song can can create a whole feeling around an event. I mean, we all know that um, the, the work and the thought that goes into choosing a song when a speaker is walking up on stage, because it's huge, it just it kicks off everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to really know about it. And um, it's sensitive, I, I think, especially nowadays, our our brains are a little bit overloaded, you may have noticed. Mm-hmm. A lot, yeah, we have a lot going on. So there are principles by which you can maximize and really optimize, not maximize, but optimize the AV input that's going into the brain. Because if there's too much, our brains shut down. And mm. all you have to do is think about a trade show floor to, to realize what I'm talking about. Like we just, we literally shut down. There's too much information. And then we start focusing very narrowly because that's all that we can pay attention to. So you don't, you don't want too much. You don't want too little. And you can make use of the combination of audio and visual input 
in a way that allows the brain to uh, retain more of it. That's what some of the principles are about. So, so it's really quite interesting, I think. Absolutely. And, and thinking about optimizing AV input is that, you know, and another thought too, cause you were just talking about like visual and audio and what about like room lighting? I've heard quite a bit of conversation around, um, impact of, of lighting. And, you know, you think about in the classroom, cause a lot of my listeners work with, um, designing, um, university classrooms and, um, even, you know, some, some, uh, um, not a uh, lower, lower ed, <laughs> that's a word, yeah. um, but, uh, you know, just classrooms and high schools. And so thinking about, you know, is there, so the, the room lighting, does that impact our capacity to learn or the brain's optimization state, I guess? Um, what, what should we know about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does. There's a lot of research now, even with um, architecture, how the physical environment impacts our ability to learn and our ability um, to feel and, and how how we feel. I mean, it's we're very, very sensitive. So, for example, um, if we are in a, a room that has very bright lights that are, that are harsh, mm-hmm. we will tend to judge people more harshly. They actually did research on that. Wow. It's, yeah, it's it's just amazing. So, so it, it's huge in terms of lighting. And on, on the other end of it, a little more commonsensically, if the lighting is not good, people have a hard time reading and seeing, and then that impacts the learning. So, so we're always looking at both ends of the spectrum. To me, we're looking at what do we want to create, and then we're looking at how do we minimize negative features of an environment. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, you, want, you certainly want to have enough lighting and you want to be able to make it soft. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I recommend having LED lights or something that you can uh, impart a slight color to a room. That changes how people perform, actually. People in, um, in red lighting do better with accuracy. There's something about red that we associate it with vigilance. And oh. fire, <laughs> maybe. And then the cool colors, blues and greens, tend to relax us. We get a little more inward focused and relaxed. Mm-hmm. And they've done research on this where it just shows blue blue lighting also is better for creativity. Mm-hmm. And it tends to, um, it impacts our melatonin, actually, and we tend to stay awake, which is why at night, I mean, it's just on a personal note, you uh-huh. just don't want your devices blinking at you in blues and greens all night. Mm-hmm. That impacts your sleep hugely. Um so yeah, so there's a lot of things to take into account. Um, I wrote a, another paper, the one on, I think it's called Mindful Mindful Events or something. It's also on PSAB's website, and that one is on trade shows and gives more of the architectural information mm-hmm. for those of you who design rooms, um, which is also really huge. The other thing that is really important, um, and, and you may, you probably know this in your own way, but in terms of the brain research with audio, especially, you've got to make sure you cancel out ambient noise because that has been shown to negatively affect comprehension, task performance, learning, everything, even as much as like fluorescent lights when they make that little mechanical oh, hum. Yes. Yeah, it's like our brain registers everything. So if there is anything like that going on, it takes a portion of our brain power away and we can't pay attention. So really huge. Same thing with having too much 
um, visual stimulation in a room. It's, it's really, you have to, it's really interesting. If there's too much visual stimulation, then we, we literally just shut down on everything and we stop paying attention. Mm, That is, so what I love about this is that, um, you know, these are all really useful bites that folks can take back to their clients and say, look, you know, there's a reason why our technology matters. There's a reason why our acoustics are so crucial. And, you know, it's going to impact the quality of learning that happens within your classrooms. It's going to impact your meeting space. Um, You know, I was just thinking about now with all these huddle spaces, right? Like, um, and, you know, even thinking about, um, you know, offices and, and co-working spaces where it is impossible to concentrate sometimes. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it, it's, you're constantly distracted and um, to stay on task just feels ridiculous. So really like these huddle spaces and, you know, thinking about designing them to, to be somewhat enclosed, right? So you're, the, the sound that's carrying from these people having these great conversations and, and um, huddling up doesn't carry out into the rest of the room and, and all the other people who are trying to stay on task. Um, I used to, I used to have this, this uh, client and we would go back and forth about the, the lighting in the meeting rooms, you know, and he's like, I want it dark. And I was like, but they're, they're, it's a lecture. It's a discussion. <laughs> like, how are they going to pay attention? And he's like, but they can see the stage. It's great stage lighting. And I was like, but it's a, you know, so that's actually a very interesting dynamic because there's, for a lot of people, it's like, but there are people on a stage. We must pay attention to that. And it's like, but don't they need to like take notes and, and still be alert and I I would feel like I would get a little sleepy in the room, maybe if the the um you know it was just the room was dim and I was looking at just like a screen, almost like a make me feel more passive, right? Um, rather than like an active participant. Yeah, absolutely. Dark dark rooms do tend to make us sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, it's it's a balance. I know, I know, a lot of speakers want that spotlight on them, mm-hmm. which you know is 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 okay as long as you're not. You know, we have we have to take into account that there are different learning styles amongst different people, mm-hmm. and satisfy the broadest audience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are people that want to take notes. There may be people that want to look at the speaker's face the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are others who want to take notes. There are others who are going to look at the slides. Yeah. You know, so so I think what you need to be careful about is that things aren't overrunning each other and that you're not sacrificing too much on one hand for the other hand. And and I think that that's why knowing the principles can really help. Yeah. Then if you have a client who's asking for something that doesn't work, you can show them the research and you can say, you know, we've really discovered that, that, that having the room dark makes people sleepy. And this is not that kind of a, of a um, session. Right. You know, this is a learning session. And you've got people here that may want to take notes. You've got people that may not see that well, you know, and, and you want everyone awake mm-hmm. and dark <laughs> And to make us sleepy. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully your attendees are awake. I mean, yeah, certainly. I yeah. am guilty myself of drifting off time to time, you know, after lunch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, 
you know, and, and you brought up is something interesting. I was just thinking about, you know, red flags and, and, uh, you know, what do we really have to avoid? And, you know, it sounds like, um, just like you said, ambient noise. Um, I, I used to do a lot of work inside of, uh, um, like convention centers and, you know, they, they'd use the convention center for breakout rooms and they'd put up air walls and it's like, okay, I can hear those big lights buzzing overhead. The sound is bouncing because these ceilings are 25 feet tall. You know, and it's like yep. sound is bouncing and then I'm getting noise from through the air walls. And, you know, it's just, I, I used to just, just talk about, you know, we, we often forget about how important that audio is, but I mean, that's 11%, right? I mean, it's still a significant and I, I wonder, does that shift based on um, people's learning styles, like their ability to absorb that information? Well, yeah, definitely. Some people are auditory learners and, and it's more important to them. Some people are not and it's less important. It's, it's that way with a lot of senses. The thing with the ears, I mean, with auditory stimuli and one of my very favorite quotes um, this neuroscientist wrote is that unlike the eyes, the ears can never be shut. Oh. So, yeah. So we are like at, at the effect of we're victims to audio noise that's in the room. And, and that is huge because if you have one of those big empty rooms, um, you know, voices reverberating, there can be echoes. Um, you can be, you know, someone is talking in, in a spot in the room where sound carries and all of a sudden you're hearing someone's conversation. The people in the back can't hear what's happening up front. Now, I, I think you can do a lot with microphones in that way, you know, that, that you set up your speakers properly and you guys all know that I'm sure. <laughs> um, the other thing that I've done, I mean, just as myself and, and, you know, <laughs> but I, I'm known for doing this so I can get away with it. But I bring, I'll bring a rug. Like if I know I'm going to, I always do a site visit. And, and if I know that this room I'm going to be in is going to have horrendous echoing and reverberating, um, I'll, I'll do something like throw a rug in the car and bring a rug <laughs> and put it down. Honestly, because that even just a little bit of wall hangings or a little bit of something on the floor helps. You can bring carpet tiles. Um, if you've got that kind of a room, it's just so difficult. And then the speakers have to like, you know, it's, I don't know, it's hard to get the acoustics right. And, and acoustics really matter. Oh, of course. Well, and I'll tell you, every one of my listeners who works with acoustics and sound right now is going, yes, see, I can warn my clients of, of the possibility of speakers and lectures bringing in carpet to hang on the walls. <laughs> I put them on the floor. I don't, yeah. I don't do the walls. <laughs> but still, I mean, that's, this is really great um, information for them to be armed with and to be able to have these conversations. And, you know, it's interesting. I had a, um, a conversation with uh, Jeff Lother, who's with Electromedia Design. I should really connect the two of you, actually. He's, his, his, uh, we talked about this last, last month and he, his whole point was, you know, we, it's our senses that create our memories, right? And these experiences. Yeah. And so, you know, you tie that into learning, you tie that into, um, you know, some of the other spaces we design a museum and, and, um, you know, there's other unique spaces and even thinking about a, you know, house of worship, um, what, how the technology and our ability to really be in the moment could be impacted by, um, I know I've sat in church and be like, I, I can't like, you know, you just 
it honestly affects your emotions, right? I mean, is that is, is that just yeah. me or is that a um nope. No, that uh geez, really good book. I have to remember the name of it. And I don't right now. But um no, there's quite a bit of research. When we enter into a space where the ceiling height goes from a normal ceiling height to a very high ceiling height and the visual field is expanded, we feel a sense of awe. Mm. It's a physiological thing. It's there, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that, that I think churches have made use of, you know, <laughs> intuitively yeah. that, that we go into this space where, and there's, you know, it's often very quiet. The acoustics are very, um, um, planned, you know, to be mm. that quiet space. There's often some incense, which affects, you know, through our sense of smell, which is also very huge. Mm. And then, and then we walk in and the visual field is expanded and that's, um, that creates a sense of awe in us. That's, mm -hmm. that's just solid one-on-one -on -one correlation. And so all of the, the, especially my stagers who are listening and want to sell that next widescreen, you know, giant, large screen projection, <laughs> we can think about that and the impact on the brain, you know, and the awe that that's actually scientific that um, you're experiencing. Well, there's more. There's actually a lot of information. I have a lot of information on that in the first paper. Okay. Um, because the, the research there has been of course, you know, about what difference a larger screen makes. And what they have discovered is that it makes a very big difference, especially with entertainment and emotional events or emotional information. Mm. Not quite so much, they haven't done as much research when it's straight factual technical information that is being um, portrayed on the screen. But what the thinking behind it is that the larger the screen, the more salient the characteristics of the image. And what that means is that they stand out more. Mm -hmm. So if you have a face of somebody smiling, you know, on a, on a standard smaller kind of a screen, and then, you know, you have a certain experience of, of, you know, the face smiling, which actually translates to joy for us because it's mm -hmm. contagious. Mm -hmm. But then if you have that same face on a big screen, the impact is much more, mm -hmm. like a lot more. And it really stands out for us, and we remember it. Huh. That's that, more. Once again, we're, these are really, really great pieces of information. And I think just being able to tie it to science is very powerful for, um, you know, potential buyer or someone who's like, well, I don't know, do we really need that? Um, being able to refer to hopefully some of the principles, you know, that are in your paper, I think will be pretty powerful. So we're pretty much out of time. I've taken up as usual more than I expect because it's always fun to talk about these topics. Anything else, um, any final thoughts or, um, you know, something we didn't cover? Um, well, actually just very quickly. Yeah. Just cause you had mentioned about the generations and technology. Mm. And so just to understand, because we're also creating for the future as well and for our entire audiences as well, the technology actually changes our brains. So when you're looking at someone um, in industry who's in their early 30s and you're looking at someone who's in their mid 50s, they have different brains. And the technology, they will respond to the technology differently. So, you know, it's wonderful to have all kinds of new stuff and new toys and, you know, different apps and all like this. And just to understand that 
what appeals to a millennial probably will not appeal to most um, boomers. So you have to mix it up and, and see if you can make a bridge from mostly, you know, the newer technologies, the millennials will enjoy, they're faster, they like, they like more input, they can process information from multiple tracks of input, mm. whereas um, boomers will tend to stay more on one track, they, they go a little slower in terms of what they want coming in, in terms of processing information. So, so you need to know your audience as well, mm-hmm. and, um, and plan, plan for it to get faster, because it's only going to get faster with... Um, Generation Z, and they're going to have, and they're going to have even even more in the direction that the millennials have taken us. That is so interesting. I'm so glad that you shared that. I just was thinking how difficult it would be to design for the workplace these days, right? To design conference it rooms is. and, and it's hard. meeting rooms, and and making sure that you're not, you know, boring the Generation Z, right? So they're like, mm-hmm. uh, this is, I can't even, you know, I can't concentrate because there's not <laughs> enough stimuli. And the, on the other hand, you have your boomers like, I can't concentrate because there's too much stimuli. So you're accommodating different brains. And that's, that is exactly. so fascinating. Um, okay. Well, this one is really, really great as, I mean, I, I love doing this show. <laughs> so I learned so much. I have like a whole page of notes written down. Um, and uh, people can find you at brainstrength.net, correct? Correct. A Sullivan at brainstrength.net is my email and brainstrength.net is my website. And I'm assuming on the website as well, there will be ways to access these papers, um, even if it's not through the PSAV website and um, being able to get even more resources and and especially, you know, a lot of uh, even interest in the management training and um, using the neuroscience. So um, definitely appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And everyone, I look forward to next month and bringing you some more wild and interesting and just maybe off the beaten path topics and ideas that will help us uh, improve our industry and, and do more good AV. So until next time. 